0: Morning, morning to those um, online, honor we can connect together in this moment and in this way. Um, before we get started, I feel like I have a word from the Lord. And so there's that, um, and so it's an, a three-part situation um, that, I don't, that has nothing to do with the message, and so, but, you know, if this is for you, you just kind of take that and, and you know, go with it. Um, but man, your shoulders, are not built to shoulder other people's expectations of success for your life. so you just receive all of that. Um, Your shoulders are not built to carry your shoulder, your own expectations of success for your life. Um, In fact, um, success defined rightly is faithfulness to God's word. so let me just, if that's for you, you go ahead and take that, all right? Got a Bible, go ahead and meet me in uh, Colossians chapter three. Um, Colossians chapter three, it's where we're going to be ending our series in uh, Colossians. It's not where we originally intended to end the series, but I think it's an appropriate space to end. Um, we didn't get to all of what uh, I felt we were supposed to talk about during first service and so uh, next week we're going to pick it back up with just the implications behind um, verse 11. It was already read but Colossians 3 10 through 11 to me it, it is one of the most significant passages in the entire scripture, I kid you not. I say that with no um, hint of exaggeration, I mean it. It is literally one of the most significant passages in the entire Bible and how we understand and how we subsequently apply Colossians chapter three verses 10 and 11, 11 specifically, uh, it, it changes everything. It, it, it really does. And, and what I've seen is that uh, this passage and passages like this, uh, uh, Galatians chapter three being one of the passages like that, th- this passages and others like it are often applied poorly. They are interpreted and applied poorly. And when they are interpreted and applied poorly, people always suffer, okay? When when this passage and passages like this are interpreted or applied poorly, people always suffer. In fact, um, there's a phenomenon that is happening right now um, in our current cultural moment, specifically amongst Christians that we've coined as deconstruction. Now deconstruction, Isn't anything new in fact. Matter of fact deconstruction that idea of taking your faith apart examining the various elements that constitute your Christianity that idea that practice is actually the practice of the mature. It is maturity to take the things of your faith seriously to examine and explore and then ask hard questions of what is essential Christianity and how is essential Christianity applied rightly, that is a mature thing. And if you find yourself as part of the reformed uh, tradition, you, you have this phrase in your Rolodex called Semper Reformanda. And it's this idea of always reforming always changing in process where you take the essence of what you believe and you seek to understand it more and it produces this idea of progressive revelation or progressive understanding not that the essence is ultimately changing but how you're applying it often is it is the practice of the mature it is faith seeking understanding. And it is a beautiful thing. However, what's happening in our current moment around this idea that we've now coined, but again, it's existed, it's the practice of the mature, is it is not faith seeking understanding. It is pain producing distance. It is a response to being harmed by people who have weaponized ideas within the Bible. It is a response of dealing with the bruising from other Christians. There's a way in which we have to own when pain becomes a primary filter of how we see the world around us and the primary driver of our processes and experiences, we may not end up where we ought to because it's not that we're pressing towards something beautiful, excellent, noble, true, and good as much as we're trying to get away from an experience or make sense of it because it was harmful and hurtful. Does that make sense? And so the passage that we're exploring is so meaningful for where we are and by the way there's a lot of pastors i think are doing good work in just helping christians wrestle well right now eric mason is one of them in fact his church is going through a series on deconstructing man i would encourage every and anybody to go check that out itunes zoom in watch it uh, charlie dates in chicago and kind of what he's doing. He's become one of my favorite theologians and teachers in the last seven, just people out there who are just, I think they are beasts. And so I would encourage us to explore well. And for me, guys, I want us to be so clear on what God is communicating through this passage that it comforts and compels us that as we work through the text and some of just the dynamics of what is found in this passage come come to light and we're like, yo, I want that. It awakens some desires in us. We're like, I want that. I need that. I, I believe that to be true, but help my unbelief. Like as, as we see some of these dynamics come to the surface, we will be comforted by the truth that we're not crazy. That if, if we're desiring something that is this beautiful and noble, it's because God desires it more than us. And He's put that desire inside of us. But then also compelled, the other fam, like, I am, I am beyond tired. I am exhausted by watching those I care about settle for less in their life. When Christians settle for less, people suffer every time. And when we settle for less than what God offers or what God commands, a distorted picture of God gets painted and a deficient experience of life gets produced. And what is rooted in this passage should comfort and compel us to not settle, but to strive to, 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 to bleed for something that's beautiful. And so that's the, that's the heart, that's what I hope happens. We get clarity that produces comfort and compels us to bleed for something beautiful, to take pain, to strive after something that is worth it. Now to do that, we're going to look at this passage and first we're gonna say what it isn't what God isn't saying here, okay? Then we're gonna look at what He is saying. And the third thing, and it won't be today because of time, I guarantee you, but how do we apply some of the implications in the categories that are given to us here? And so what God is not saying, what He is saying, and then some implications there of, um, we'll take it bit by bit, but first let's, let's read it straight through, two verses reads like this, verse 10, and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator here, there is not Greek and Jew and circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. Christ is all and in all. Saturated, let's take it bit by bit. He's given us cultural categories, categories within a society, some birth by what it means to be human and some birth by humanity, just creating categories as it makes sense of the human experience. So Greek and Jew, racial, ethnic, and cultural identities, circumcised and uncircumcised. These are religious practices rooted in conscience and starting points of spirituality. Barbarian or Scythian, this is cultural capital. Okay. And so a barbarian or, or a Scythian, they, they would be considered those backward unlearned folks. Slave and free. Social hierarchy with economic dynamics. And we're gonna get into this next week, but let me go ahead and say it now. History knows no equal like the transatlantic slave trade, okay? And so when when we hear slave in the scriptures, we need to understand that we import An understanding that the scriptures don't really have a category for namely the transatlantic slave trade slave and free social hierarchy with economic dynamics there's another one in here that another passage will bring out that we'll bring out next week male and female gender dynamics these are human constructed categories and God-given categories for all of humanity. What he is not saying is these categories are to be demonized or eradicated. Now that's sometimes how we interpret this. Sometimes this is interpreted what he says here in Christ, there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, uh, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free. That There is an erasing of the things that make us distinct. That is not what is being communicated. The thrust of this is not the erasure of distinction, the elimination of difference. So a couple of scriptures help build that case. First Corinthians 12, read with me. It'll be on the screen. It reads like this. For we were all baptized by one spirit into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slave or free. We see that language, very similar language. We were baptized, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and we were all given one spirit to drink. Indeed, the body is not one part but many Romans 10 11 through 12 uh, again he he's he's bringing out these distinctions and he's making a point uh, verse 11 reads like this for the scripture says everyone who believes on him will not be put to shame since there is no distinction between Jew and Greek because the same Lord of all richly blesses all who call on him for everyone who calls on him will be saved Galatians 3 through 29 the one that almost verbatim reads like what we just read in Colossians three, it starts like this: For those of you who were baptized into Christ have been clothed with Christ. There is no Jew or Greek, slave or free. Here is that category added: male and female, since you are all one in Christ. And if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed, heirs according to the promise. Notice the thrust of all of that. The thrust is not the erasure of distinction. What's up though? The thrust is not the erasure of those things. It's not the elimination of difference and that which makes us distinct. The thrust is the dismantling of the discriminatory practices associated with the distinction. The thrust is the dismantling of divisiveness associated with the distinction. The thrust is to elevate unity, not uniformity. What it is not saying is that which makes us distinct is meant to be erased or demonized. When we operate in that way, we strip what is sacred about humanity. When we operate in that way, we encourage sameness over equity and equality. They are not the same thing. Have you ever read The Giver? Yeah, I'll read The Giver, it'll freak you out, yeah. I had to read The Giver in seventh grade, actually like sixth grade. I was like, they out here euthanizing bait, what kind of book? But it talks about this dystopian future, similar to equilibrium, where you eliminate distinction. You start to eliminate emotions to try and create a sense of harmony. It never works, ever. He is not erasing what makes us distinct. He is erasing the divisiveness and the discriminatory practices around what makes us distinct that matters. So, I love it. God is offering something more excellent than sameness or uniformity. He is offering equity that is rooted in humility and unchangeable dignity. Don't weaponize this verse, please. Please, I have seen Christians, brothers and sisters, weaponize this verse regularly, and often it looks like this. I don't see color. What? I understand the intent I believe, and I don't wanna impugn malicious intent on you. But we have to move beyond this idea that color blindness is synonymous with spiritual maturity. It isn't, but when you weaponize verses like this, that's what's ultimately produced, but then you strip something beautiful about humanity. So that's not what this means. Let's dive into what it does mean and what it does communicate and what God is saying the first thing that this passage is saying is this is a statement on the inclusivity of the kingdom colossians 3:11 is a statement on the inclusivity of the kingdom the kingdom of god is more inclusive than we could ever imagine the scandal of the gospels, when you just read the gospels is who gets to be part of the kingdom of God. Now, I love Jesus, obviously I'm a pastor, but I love petty Jesus. Like petty Jesus does something to my soul, right? Like spicy Jesus is like my favorite Jesus. And spicy Jesus shows up when he's confronting people who are harming other humans. I like that Jesus. Spicy Jesus shows up where you get to see his wit and his sarcasm and his bite to his words. And so you get Matthew 22 and Matthew 22, and it's actually in Luke 15 as well, is an expression of spicy Jesus. And so it is like Keen Petty, right? So he, he tells this parable, this parable of this great banquet. And what he says is that there was this king and this king invited some people. Yo, come, I created this great supper for you, lot of food, some rotisserie, it's there. Now come enjoy it. And one by one, the people are like, nah, I'm good. Thanks, but no thanks, not for me, don't want that. And here's what happens next. Matthew 22, verse nine through 10, it reads like this. The king says to his servants, go therefore to the main roads and invite to the wedding feast as many as you find. And those servants went out into the roads and gathered all of whom they found both bad and good. So the wedding hall was filled with guests. Do you see what he did there? He invited these people. They're like, thanks, but no thanks. He's like, well, okay. Said it a few weeks ago, have it your way. And then he goes out and he says, whomever, from wherever you bring them in so that they can enjoy this beautiful kickback I've created for them. The inclusiveness of the kingdom is a hallmark of Christianity. And this is a statement of inclusiveness. Barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, Greek, Jew uncircumcised circumcised male female whoever from wherever come experience joy come experience life the inclusiveness of the kingdom is a hallmark of christianity but this is a countercultural exclus- inclusiveness this is a countercultural inclusiveness when we think about like something being elegant it's also about exclusivity, right? So the more exclusive something is, the more elegant it becomes. Met Dalla, did you get a ticket? Probably not. If you did, come holler at me. I wanna pick your brain on some other stuff. If you traffic in the social media world, do you remember Clubhouse when it first came out? And everybody was like fiending for those invitations. Hey, you got an invitation? You got an invitation? And folks were selling them. I was trying to sell one, didn't happen, but you know, praise God. And there was a level of like dignity. It's like, yo, we got this inside track to this experience. We're good. Some of you know about just the elegance associated with being on the inside to actually being included in something profound to be chosen because you're traumatized from seventh grade and not being chosen in dodgeball. That wasn't my story. Yeah. You know, Cause I'm African. And so while I got a whole bunch of African booty scratchers hurled my way, there was also that he might be like Hakeem Olajuwon. That's racist, but I'll take it. Pick me. All right. But we know that there's a sort of like, like if something is like inside only it's more dignified and significant. The scandal of this inclusiveness, is who gets in. It's not just that it's everybody from everywhere, but there is there is this emphasis on a particular type of people Luke 15. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him and the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled saying this man receives sinners and eats with them. You know what a tax collector is? That's a dirty designation. So they were occupied under Roman government. They weren't the only people to do it, but the Roman government would would tax its people, you need to pay a tax for enjoying the privilege of having us oppress you. That's wild by the way, not so much if you think about it, but that was the whole situation, but what was wild was they would get people from the communities that were taken over to serve as tax collectors. And so what a tax collector would do is let's say the Roman government had a tax and it was like 5% on bread. They would say, yo, you don't just have to pay 5% on bread, you need to pay 15% on bread so that we could get that 10% gu- cut. So they would li- they would upcharge. And they would line their pockets off the backs of other people's pain. And so whenever you would see a tax collector, the Jews were especially like, no, sir. The closest equivalent we have culturally is that kind of sounds like a uncle Tom. That's why Zacchaeus and Luke is crazy where he's like, yo, whoever I defrauded, I'm going to pay them back and then some. Because the gospel penetrated his heart. Nevertheless, tax collectors are included. The inclusiveness of the kingdom is countercultural. Because the dignity is for the outcasts. When it comes to Christianity, the insiders are the outsiders. This is a powerful statement. Barbarians and Scythians included in the list. Now, before we move on, we cannot confuse the inclusiveness of the kingdom with multiple entry points or doors into the kingdom. Everyone from everywhere, no matter what gets in, but there's no backdoor entry, no side room egress, It's one door into the greatest party, the greatest kickback, the greatest banquet ever. And that door is believing in Jesus Christ. That's why the rest of Matthew 22 continues like this. But when the king came in and looked at the guest, he saw that there was a man who had no wedding garment. And he said to him, friend, how do you get in here without a wedding garment? And he was speechless. And then the king said to the attendants, bind him hand and foot and cast him out into the outer darkness. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And so there is this inclusive call. Everyone from everywhere come experience the greatness of life. But it is a very exclusive and narrow entryway, you only experience it by believing in me, Jesus, the Christ, taking me as true. That's faith. There's more here. This isn't just a statement on the inclusiveness of the kingdom. This is a statement of the unique intimacy God is offering all people everywhere, this is verse 11, in Christ, then the back half of verse 11, verse 11b, but Christ is all in all. Anytime we see in Christ in the scriptures, what God is trying to clue our eyes into is this unique and mysterious union that God is offering people to experience. It is union and intimacy with God the Father, and it is union and intimacy with people. In Christ, God is establishing and offering unique intimacy with himself and unique intimacy with others. This unique intimacy is unity with diversity. This unique intimacy is entryway, not just into the same room, but into the same family. This is the gospel message. This is the gospel that God does just as to bring different people into the same room, he brings different people into the same family and they experience this unique intimacy. Went to a comedy show last night, hilarious. Now, the headliner, um, he, stole, he stole my situation. So if you hear this somewhere else, I actually said it first, I was thinking about it uh, this week. This was a uh, peanut butter and honey sandwich type week for me. All right. We we got we got financial goals, you know what I'm saying? As I was like for lunch, in between dinner, peanut butter and honey sandwiches. So as I was making um, a peanut butter and honey sandwich, I grabbed you know the loaf of bread we have that honey wheat situation, the orange bag. Does everybody yep. Amen. And so it was it was only like four slices in there. And the, the slices were the the butts, you know the booty of the bread, like it's like a Brown punch. And then these two slices in the middle, we call it the booty. So you had the booty, then you had the middle, and then it was this. I was like, oof. I had a decision to make. I had a decision to make because my son, he comes home from school famished. And his go-to move is strawberries and peanut butter sandwiches. So I looked at it and I was like, I could eat the middle and leave the butts for him but because I'm a holy human being, I think I'm an excellent father. I grabbed the butts and I just added some more honey and some more peanut butter you know what I'm saying, to drown out the taste. Now, he's my son. So I'm going to treat him differently. Let's say you come over and you're like, fam, I want this peanut butter and honey sandwich. You probably have to eat the butts dog. Does that make sense? You track it with me? I mean, I love you. For real, pastorally, but you're probably gonna have to eat the butts. Same son, had night terrors like crazy. Crazy. I'm like, is it because you keep watching Pokemon? Is Blastoise coming to get you? What's the situation? Crazy. Is it because we started My Hero Academia? What's that? Crazy. And he would, I'm telling you, no, I kid you not. He would knock on the door. And then sometimes he would stop knocking and it'd be like 2 a.m. and he would just come into my room and he would just make his way into our bed and chill. It's like Noah, buddy, come on fam. Now he could get away with that. If you showed up at my house at 2 a.m. because Blastoise was haunted. Yo, we watched Candyman last week. And so you're like, yo, Candyman is haunted and you show up. Um, Does that make sense? There's a difference in how we relate based on the relationship. He is saying there is this unique intimacy God is creating with people where they relate to each other the same way I relate to my son. The access you have to God, the father, if you're a Christian, Wherever you are, you could talk to him and he hears you and he wants you and he is consistently desiring to be inconvenienced for your sake. This is a statement of the unique intimacy God offers with himself, but the unique intimacy that we have with others in the same family, a people from all people. There's, 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 there's more here. Think, think about this A people from all people dynamic that's, that's represented here, this unique offering. Revelation 7, 9 through 10 reads like this. After this, I looked and behold a great multitude that no one can, can number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the lamb clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hand and crying out with a loud voice salvation belongs to our god who sits on the throne and to the lamb and so this passage is happening on the other side of eternity so god is god is bringing human history to a close and all that's left is eternity forever And when you look at the people of God forever, he says, it's innumerable. And while you can't number them, you can name their cultural heritage. That's crazy. They're innumerable, but their distinction is noticeable. Their race and culture and ethnicity is still there. Think about this sin has been erased. And what is carried in the new age is our ethnic heritage because it's not inherently sinful. There's something beautiful about us. And what I love about that is it means that the gospel has this way of transcending without trampling, it transcends certain aspects about us, creating a new way to relate, a new way to define us but it doesn't trample stuff that is beautiful within us. More here. This is a picture of remade humanity. So this is verse 10. Verse 10 says this, which is being renewed in the knowledge after the image of its creator. Each one of these categories and these identities If we allow, they could create high levels of divisiveness and discriminatory practices, which are ultimately dehumanizing behavior. These categories left unchecked or in the heart of broken people like you and me create dehumanizing experiences and a dehumanized picture of humanity. You know what dehumanizing is? When you remove or rob somebody else of what is essential to humanity and what they're due because of their humanity, dignity. To treat people like objects is to dehumanize them. To treat people like obstacles is to dehumanize them. And these categories lend themselves towards the dehumanizing of others. But here's the kicker, it always comes full circle. When I dehumanize others, I ultimately dehumanize myself. When I treat people as less than what they are due because of their essential humanity, I am stripping the very core of my soul and I am dying on the inside slowly, but surely. But it's a common experience. It's a common experience. We know we, the stories that we could tell around dehumanizing people because of their ethnic identity because of their economic status, because of particular religious convictions, because of their gender, the stories we can tell of our human experience. Here's what I have found. And Isabella Wilkinson, she has this book out, Cast. It's a great book. I would recommend it for anybody. She talks about dehumanizing and she says dehumanizing takes practice and programming. She's right. She's, she, she's absolutely right. My son, my daughter, my youngest, um, they're black that in case. Now one of the things I love about our church is how diverse it is. Yeah. And so our children's director is, is not black. She's Caucasian, she's like Kansas City Caucasian too, right? And so she works at the school where our kids go. And so they'd be in the hallways, they'd be like, Auntie Sam. And, and so it's interesting to see how the other teachers were like, like what are you talking about? Like, you know, well, you all kind of light skinned, maybe you're biracial, and, like, and it's like, it's fascinating. But for them, they're like, that's Sam. They're growing in an environment where color and culture is valued, but it isn't the definitive way that we relate to one another. And so they're experiencing human relationships in a beautiful, true, noble, and good way. Racists are grown. They are programmed and raised and discipled into that. They aren't born in that space. They are built to become that. And there's so many dehumanizing practices that we all have and we need to know we are programmed to do them. The soil shapes, what grows. That's why this is a picture of remade humanity, new soil. And we want it. We want it. That's why in the last 10 years, we see like the issues of consistent dehumanization. We know how problematic they are and we're trying to solve them. The challenge is, We're trying to solve significant issues apart from God. And in doing so, we're actually replacing God. So to quote a modern prophet, a modern poet of our day, Jaquez Berman Webster II, AKA Travis Scott, stop trying to be God Almighty whole song is a vibe. When we try to accomplish God's purposes our way, it always ends badly. This is the story of our human experience. This is the story of the scriptures. Abraham, I'm going to give you a son. Cool. Now let me go get. It always ends badly. That's why this closing statement is not just the picture of remade humanity. This statement is the power of the gospel. Colossians three: eleven is a statement regarding the power of the gospel. Rehumanizing takes the power of the gospel, a gospel that I said transcends without trampling, meaning that it puts what's different and distinct about us in its appropriate place. So we relate to each other appropriately. The power of the gospel. This is Galatians chapter 2, 14. Maybe you're familiar with this passage. Peter, pillar of the faith, acting out of discriminatory practices. And Paul says to him, when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas before them all, front street, if you do a Jew live like a Gentile and not a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? Peter, you are living out of step with the power and the truth of the gospel. The power and the truth of the gospel creates a new standard whereby we relate to one another and we give people the dignity that they're due. Even if it means that I have to be stripped of prior dehumanizing practices that I grew up with the power of the gospel. If your heart was burning, you're like, yeah, I want that. I long for that. Those statements to shape the way I see Christianity, the way I experience God. If your heart was burning for that, yo, welcome home. Like, welcome home. This is the Christian story that cannot be hijacked by cultural narratives. Or social political agendas. This is the essence of what we say we believe, y'all. A transcendent gospel that transforms all of life without trampling what's beautiful and true within it. Welcome home. Welcome home. And if your heart is like it's burning, be comforted, but y'all be compelled. We. Brooke family. We are the carriers of this. We're the carriers of this. I am not concerned with a whole bunch of activity. I am concerned on whether or not we will embody this and experience the beautiful things that are associated with it. Unique intimacy with God and with others that spill over to repairing the world around us. Welcome home. Next week, some of these categories and how to leverage them well. But for now, oh, let's just sit with this picture. Pray with me, Father. um,